Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I want to thank you for joining us today for our Sunday gathering. We are so excited for you to be here. Today is a special day because it is a kickoff of a sermon series. And so whenever we do a sermon series, I will always do the introduction of the sermon series for us to have that vision, that trajectory for where God is calling us next. Now, what I want to do is I just want to bring up a word because this word is really the kickoff and the whole driving force behind the sermon series. So what's that word? Conflict. A word in our present that we are all feeling. I think this might be one of the, the first times for some people that they feel that they have been living in a state of conflict. I believe for everybody you've had moments or seasons of conflict, but, but now we are living in the present of conflict. What's very interesting is as we look at this whole COVID-19 situation, it really feels like it's been a long time. But, but as my wife and I have been talking about it, it's been six months. It's been the longest six months that we have felt and have experienced. And so if I were to ask you right now, where is your major source of conflict coming from? Is it coming from the, the whole hysteria from the virus is it coming from the whole political party and upheaval that's going on? Because we know that this week was the whole pre presidential debate. We know that there's a lot going on with our politics. What about is there the conflict with the law enforcement that we've seen with, with the racial unrest? Or are you also feeling conflict towards a person or a group of persons? What if I were to tell you that the culprit of our conflict is not necessarily, not necessarily who we think it is. And that's what we're going to address today. Who is the real culprit behind all the conflict that we are experiencing, but even more so the conflict that we will experience at some point in our life? Our sermon series is entitled, Gear Up. We will study Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul charges the church of Ephesus to confront the conflict that they are living in. And this letter to, to the church of Ephesus is not only for them back then, but I believe now more than ever, it is for us. Because what we are going to talk about is what spiritual warfare is and how do we learn to live the victorious life that we have as the people of God that was given to us through Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray, but right after I pray, I want you to grab your Bible, and if you have some means of, of taking notes, take some notes, whether it's in your Bible or, or on a tablet, whatever it is, I want you to begin during this sermon series to take notes because I believe that what God wants to speak to us is more than just a sermon or, or me preaching, but it's something that God wants us to study so that we can be empowered to know Christ and what? Make him known. So let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for this time that we are all gathering together. Whether we are in West Milford, 
whether we are online or whether we are in Mawa, we are all gathering to hear the same message for the same vision that we would be able to know Christ and make him known, that we would be able to live in the victory. And God, I believe that in this season more than ever, we need to understand the true conflict that we are all in so that we can learn to overcome the culprit of our conflict. And together, the church, our church, would thrive in who we are as sons and daughters of God. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to be studying over the next eight weeks from chapter 6 of Ephesians. But I believe for us to really understand what was going on in chapter 6, we need to go to chapter 1 first. And so I'm just going to read a couple verses from chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 that, that really lay out the foundation of what we're going to be studying, spiritual warfare, and how we are to gear up so that we can live victorious lives. So if you will, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to admit that Ephesians is my favorite letter to the churches. It is one that as I started the plant with a team of people that we really believe that what God did in Ephesus, God was going to use the plant to do through every community that the plant was planted in, whether it be Mawa, whether it be West Milford, whether it be online, whether it be whatever that next place is, that God would position the plant to in many ways mirror what was happening in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city, a large city at the time that was in a place of pluralism, where there was witchcraft, where there was the, the worship of the goddess Diana, that there was all of this evil that was running rampant, and all of a sudden what had happened was Paul had stepped into the community and he had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing that you have to realize, if you've ever understood spiritual warfare, there are certain cities or towns or, or areas that, that there's an oppression that sits over it that has a controlling factor upon that land. And Ephesus was one of those places. It was one of those places that people knew that the spiritual heights and levity of what was going on was, was a little bit more than other cities or town or, or rural areas. And when Paul had stepped in, there was such a, a hunger to know truth, to know the true God, to know the power of Christ, in the resurrection of his death, and also the presence of the Holy Spirit, that when the Spirit of God was manifested through Paul and other believers, the gospel just spread like wildfire. They say that, that a quarter of the city had come to faith. And all of a sudden, there was a revival, and that's what we pray for at the plant. We have been praying from day one that we would be a church that plays a role in ushering revival in our world. Not just in the United States, not just in New Jersey, but globally that we would be part of that little flame of revival that would just spark and people would come to, to faith like crazy, like wildfire. And all of a sudden what had happened was so many people came to faith that the city of those in the city that were not followers of Christ 
began to revolt. The silversmiths, their main source of income and, and being a city, there were many of them, were to create idols to their goddess. And not only to, to their goddess, but to other gods. And so what they would do is they'd have travelers traveling around. They would come to the city and they would buy these little idols and then they would bring them to their home little towns all scattered around the city. It's kind of like when we go to other countries such as India and other places where we may go into a, a store, a gift shop, and there's these little trinkets, idols. They look cute. They look harmless. But yet, those statues are a representative of a power that people live under. Yes, even today, in, in many countries, you can go into a gift shop and you see these little idols of, of what people worship. And so the silversmiths, what had happened was is that they started losing business. Their economy started shifting. All those who were following Christ actually made this massive bonfire of books and literature that, that really represented over a million dollars worth of literature. And they just made this massive bonfire. And in this, the silversmiths and others revolted. And all of a sudden, rioting broke out in Ephesus. And the church didn't know what to do. They were equipped in some ways, but, but Paul had heard and seen what was going on. And he said, to the faithful ones in Christ Jesus, you have been faithful and when you read chapters 1 and 2, you see these prayers that, that, that Paul is just praying for the church of Ephesus of, of so many great things that God was doing in them and through them and, and to keep running in their faithfulness, to keep being who they were in their city. And they did. But still, sometimes when we are in a place of conflict, it's hard to understand the severity of the conflict we are in. And not just the severity of the conflict, but the nature of the conflict. Because I know right now that oftentimes when we are looking at the, the situation with the virus, when we are looking at the, the political landscape, when we are looking at the racial tensions, when we are looking at the, the fight against the nucleus family, that oftentimes we are getting angry at the wrong individuals. What we're going to learn from, from Scripture is that we are not in a physical fight, but we are in a spiritual fight. One in which we think the real enemy is those that we see, but actually what we're going to learn over the next eight weeks is that the real enemy is not that what we see, even though he manipulates others to manifest himself. Yes, the enemy uses others, men and women alike, to manipulate the works of God. But the truth is, those individuals aren't the true culprit. Let's continue. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, so turn with me to chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. A final word, and so this is the ending of Ephesians. And so, so Paul's giving one final teaching. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the, all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against 
all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Right away, Paul ends the letter with a final word. And by the word, he means a final teaching and equipping of the church so that they would learn to live victoriously in the midst of their present conflicts and the conflicts to come. And and so when you look at verse 12, when he says we are not fighting, the word fighting is the word pali, which means struggle, wrestle, fight, or battle. This word denotes a contest of fight opponents waged in close hand-to-hand combat with the goal of pinning down and defeating one's rival. You see, oftentimes when we think about this whole idea of fight or battle, we think of it more in in the sense of an athletic competition. That's not what Paul is referring to. If you've ever been in a place of real warfare combat, if you've ever served in the military, that's the word that Paul is using. It is an actual fight. Why? Because when we just put it in the terms of athletic competition, we lose the authority and the power that Paul wants us to experience, not just the authority and the power, but also the destruction that comes with not being equipped to learn how to stand up in the midst of conflict. This is not about just losing a game or giving our best foot forward. This is about fighting for the souls of others and also that we would learn to live in a place of victory that comes in knowing who we are as children of God and being the church that Christ has come to empower. And and so you look at this, and and all of a sudden we start wrestling with, okay, so this is a little bit more serious than we often take spiritual warfare. Because we don't like to think of these things. We we think of it as spooky or or immature or or dated. But, But let me ask you this. Right now, think about the most difficult person pressing problem or the most overwhelming circumstance you are currently in. Think about that. This is what Paul is saying. Paul strongly contests that the real fight is not with the culprit you recognize, but something much deeper, darker, and severe. I think for me, this is something that I've realized as being a parent. That when I see what's going on with my children in the midst of culture, that that sometimes I realize, wow, there's something a lot deeper, darker, severe going on. But Paul's not just using language that is mystical. He's talking about, as he looked at Scripture as a whole, instances where other people as well fell prey to missing the severity of conflict. So so let me give you one example, 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Aram 
was at war with Israel. And he wasn't just at war with Israel. He was actually in conflict with Elisha, the prophet. And so when you get to 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Aram was going to hunt Elisha down and surround him because he knew if he could get to Elisha, he knew that Israel would be weakened at its core. Because Israel's core, its core belief, its core faith, was entrusting the voice of God. And in this season of Israel, Elisha was the voice of God. And so if the king could take out Elisha, he knew that Israel would be weakened. And so the king of Aram went after Elisha. And and he surrounded where Elisha was. And all of a sudden, the servant of Elijah looked out and, and he saw a massive army surrounding them. And this is what Elijah told his servant. He said, don't be afraid, in verse 16. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, and this is what prayer has the power to do. It has the power to open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to see and hear and understand the real conflict that surrounds us. And so Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And all of a sudden, as Elisha and his servant were praying, and you can just sense this, this desperation in, in the servant's heart. He probably was clenching his, his fist and, and praying and, and maybe on the verge of weeping or anxiety. And all of a sudden, when he opened his eyes, he looked out and he saw a vast army of fire that was about to overpower the king of Aram. And so what Elisha was saying to his servant, our battle is not with them. It's with something deeper, something darker, something more severe, something that in the human eye we cannot see. But with our spiritual eyes, we begin to see and understand Our true fight is of a spiritual nature, even though it manifests in a physical one. This is difficult to talk about because we can be in conflict with others. And oftentimes, I myself have looked at others as the enemy rather than realizing that the enemy is trying to use that individual to distract me from keeping my eyes off my hope and my victory that's found in Jesus. And if I really want to take it to another level, there have been times, yes, there has been times that the enemy has manipulated me and even you to cause distraction in others to see the work of God that's found in Christ Jesus. 
I believe now more than ever, church, we need to be equipped to see what's really going on. Or we may be the distraction the enemy uses that others get to see the hope that's found in Christ Jesus. We are children of God first and foremost. That is where our, our allegiance lies. And so church, are you positioned to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are open, that you are not being a distraction from others to see the hope that's found in Christ. Because the enemy uses everybody. And he can, and he will even use the church to distract the world from seeing the true hope that's found in Christ. Just as Paul sat in prison guarded by soldiers, he understood who the real enemy was. One of a spiritual nature. When Paul wrote this epistle, he was sitting in Rome, being guarded by soldiers. They made it out to be, be that Paul was such a threat that he needed soldiers to guard him day and night. And I believe that one of the reasons why, why Paul used military language was because as he was writing to the church of Ephesus, he looked out and the first persons that he saw were soldiers. And how there was a war after him to, to stop the work of the gospel, he had begun to realize that there was a war of a, spiritual, of a spiritual nature and not just one of a physical nature. That the only war that manifests physically is how the enemy uses others to be distracted spiritually. And so as Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, he's looking at those who were guarding him. Because Paul was a gospel threat. Paul was a kingdom threat. And so as he looked out, he realized that the soldiers weren't the real enemy. But there was one of a spiritual nature. Paul was teaching the church to begin to identify the nature of the battle that they were in. One of a spiritual nature. Now here's what I want you to pen down. No matter where you are right now, I want you to write down, spiritual warfare may be invisible, but it is not fictional. Spiritual warfare may be invisible, but it is not fictional. And so we see this as we read again verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against enemy, evil rulers, and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul identifies the real enemy. Yes, we need to know our enemy. Just like a, a country going to battle against another country, they know their enemy. They know what they're coming against. It even talks in scripture about how in military forces that they count the cost before they build something or go to war. Paul says, know your enemy. Know that you are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the what? Underline this, unseen world. 
against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I know that what we want to do on weekends is just sing kumbaya and and everyone be happy with one another. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are living in a dark world. A dark world that has always been dark since the fall of humanity. We see glimmers of light. Of light. We may have moments of joy. But there's a real enemy. There's a real battle after us. And so Paul identifies the real enemy. It is not people or corporations or political parties, even though may, they may manifest as your enemy. They are not. And Paul identifies the enemy. It is Satan. Yes, it is Satan. And it's even more than just Satan. It's Satan's army. And I love how what Paul does is he meticulously identifies the true nature of the enemy and his military tactics. Do yourself a favor. Read this passage every day over the next week. And see how Paul just doesn't just identify one enemy, but an army of enemies. So who is the, the leader of this military group? It's the devil. It's the same devil that, that tempted Adam and Eve to believe that their plan was better than God's plan. It is the same devil that stood before God to challenge Job's faithfulness. He is the same devil that filled the man with legions of demons to live in a place of isolation. He is the same devil that convinced Judas to betray Jesus and Peter to deny his Lord. He is the same devil that manipulated the religious leaders to crucify Christ. And he is the same devil that has waged war against each one of us so that we cannot live out the victorious life that's found in Christ. We see it all throughout Scripture that there is one and his legions of demons that has set out to do what Jesus had said his role was to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal the gospel from taking root in our lives. To kill the joy that comes in knowing Christ. and Destroy the work of the gospel. There are many names given to our greatest enemy. But what I want to do is I just want to name a few. First, Satan. Adversary of God. The antagonistic to the plans and purposes of God. Another name is devil. The slanderous one. Intention to defame and malign the character and and intentions of God and others. Think about Job. He was the slanderous one. So Job will fall. Give me the authority. I'll make him fall. What about tempter, whose goal is to lure individuals to be misled by passions that are destructive and perverted to the will of God? Have you ever been tempted Yes, it may be your nature, but it's even deeper than your nature. There's a spiritual nature that was derived and birthed by the evil one. Yes, the devil himself. Another name is father of lies. 
His character is opposed to God. His means are to falsely to deceive others. I mean, think about it. Just, just think about sex. A gift God gave to a man and woman in the relationship of marriage. All Satan has done is lie to humanity. That sex outside of marriage, the way that God intended it, is good and healthy and pleasing. No. God created sex to be something beautiful and fun and enjoyable for both pleasure and procreation. But the enemy has lied to us. And another name, and there are many more, but let me just give you one more accuser. He condemns the very actions that he used to draw people away from God, causing a person to live in guilt and shame. Every time that you live in a place of guilt and shame, it's because the enemy is lying to you. He's accusing you. And instead of drawing near to God, oftentimes our guilt and shame pulls us away from God and God's good plan and will in our life. The names of the enemy define his character intentions, and activity against humanity and God's plan. Yes, this is serious. And yes, this is real. As we look at the current landscape of our country and even our world, we recognize there is an intense battle that involves a pandemic. It involves confusion. It involves, in our country right now, more than ever, racial tension. A battle of political power and agenda. Let's not forget about the war being waged against a nucleus family and the battle for your children's identity. Let me ask you, as you look at the, the climate of our culture right now, where do you identify that spiritual warfare is taking place. I know that I've named some, maybe a lot, maybe things that you haven't even thought about. But let me ask you, where do you see that there's a real spiritual battle going on, both for your soul and the soul of others? The problem is what we need to understand is that the enemy's approach is cryptic. It's oftentimes hard for us to see. And it's so important for us as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, because I realize that, that the majority of people that are gathered right now are saying, how do I be a Christian in this broken world? And for those that, that are finding us and following us that, that aren't yet have declared Jesus as Lord, are saying, I need to be empowered. I need to know the way, the truth, and the life. I need to know what real truth is because all I'm living in is lies. That, that we need to understand that the enemy's approach is cryptic. But Paul is saying, when we undisguise who the real enemy is, we begin to enact the victory that Christ has for us. Let's take off the mask of the conflict to show the face of the real culprit. It's always like Scooby-Doo. Remember Scooby-Doo, the, the TV show? Matter of fact, our first dog's name was Scooby-Doo. 
And at the end of, at the, end of the, the, the episode, they always pulled the mask off someone, and it was always a person you never thought about. It's kind of like what's going on right now. We need to see the real face of the enemy that we are fighting against. And so how do we do this? Let's look at Paul's challenge to us, verse 13 to 18. He says this in in verse 13 and 18. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And so what we do, we see that that what Paul is saying is he's saying, gear up. I'm going to give you seven pieces of armory that will protect you and empower you to live victorious. I think oftentimes we go to battle unprepared, ill-equipped. And Paul is saying, gear up. Get ready. Because you're about to go to war. It is our responsibility to be spiritually equipped to be able to both understand the fight and know how to fight so that we can live victorious. And when we live victorious in our lives through the tools and the equipping that God gives us through the word of God and the spirit of God, we get to experience the fullness of life that's found in Christ Jesus. And then here's what we do. Other people get to experience that same victory because we have experienced it for ourselves. And when we experience it for ourselves, we give it to others. So church, over the now the next seven weeks, gear up. Be alert. Get ready to be equipped so that you would learn to live victorious in our present state of conflict. But then he also says this, he says, stand your ground. He gives a second charge, he says, stand your ground. To stand your ground means to position yourself to fight and to have a position of battle. It means ready yourself. It means that we need to be alert, that we need to be awake to the activities that surround us. That we need to be aware to our current cultural climate and conversations that are surrounding us. It does not mean that we are antagonistic. May I say that again, church? It does not mean that we are antagonistic. It means that we're ready to engage in thought, conversation, and, co- and collaboration to bring about change and transformation in the world and the time that God has positioned us in. 
You look at how Paul handled conflict. He used the presence of God and the words that God gave him in the midst of the conflicts that he was in. We see the early church that that all they always did was the first thing they did is they went to prayer. And they went to spiritual warfare. And they found themselves fighting on their knees. Maybe the problem is was we haven't been on our knees enough. I had the privilege of having a grandfather who was a minister. I didn't know him for a long time. I only knew him up until the age of about five, and then he passed away. But there's stories being told of my grandfather who would preach in a suit, but his knees were worn out. Because every day he would go to the office in a suit, and he would find himself on his knees Hour after hour after hour after hour. And his knees were worn out on his suit. What would happen if that's what we did? What would happen if our, per, our first position of, of warfare was on our knees and then our second position was engaging in conversation and thought and collaboration to bring about gospel change? I think that's where the church is going wrong right now. We're not standing our ground. We're missing out on the opportunity to be culturally present with a gospel that is never, ever changing. And then lastly, what we need to understand as the church is that the battle is already won. The only reason the enemy is so persistent right now is because he knew that at Calvary that he lost. He knew at the tomb that the battle was finished and that he was now going to be in a place of total destruction. Church, our only role is to finish the fight. That's all we are called to do is finish the fight. He can try to blind us, distract us, confuse us. But church, we are empowered to win no matter what as long as you choose to walk in the victory that's found in being equipped to know Christ and make him known. Listen to the words of Paul. He says this, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, do not be broken in the sense that you are ill-equipped to live in the victory that Christ has for you. Be whole. Know that the battle is already won. And all you are called to do is thrive and run. And yes, you may be wounded. Yes, you may get hurt. But all you need to do is, when that happens, stand up, stand firm, and know that your victory has already been won. All you need to do is go out and fight. It's like Elijah said, look out. See the chariots, see the horses, see the Lord's army 
who has already gone before us. Today, let's choose to gear up, stand our ground, and walk in victory by putting on the armor of God. And the only means that we do this is by knowing our enemy and knowing how to defeat our enemy. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this time. And God, it's for such a time as this. That now more than ever, we need to know and understand what Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus. We need to understand that we are already empowered. And our role is to gear up, stand firm, and live in the victory that Christ has already given to us. And I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Plan family, I want to thank you for joining us for this sermon series. And I believe that over now, the next seven weeks, that this is an opportunity for you to be equipped, to know how to be victorious, to know your enemy, and to know that the life that Christ has come to give you is one of victory and hope that's found in him and through him and by him. I know this plant family. We love you. We're praying with you and we're praying for you. Have a great day. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.